The Resurrection, A Life Without Fear. Welcome and thank you for joining us for our Sunday Sermon Podcasts here on the 19th of April, 2020. Today is the second Sunday in Easter and here at Christchurch, Jerusalem, we believe Easter not to be just one Sunday a year, but a whole season. Today in his sermon, our senior pastor, Reverend David Pelegi, discusses and takes us through what brought about the transformation of the disciples into courageous men and women, whereas only a few chapters before, they displayed cowardice. It is only when they encounter the risen Jesus that fear turns into joy, that unbelief turns to belief. The peace that Jesus gives in the upper room to his disciples is the same peace that he gives to us. This peace is nothing less than his enduring presence that enables and instigates us to be his witnesses without fear and without anxiety. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is taken from the book of Psalms, the 116th chapter, beginning at the first verse. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. 
Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted, I said in my haste. All men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. If you're not already, please stand as we will honor an ancient Christian tradition which honors the good news of what God is doing through Jesus the Messiah. The Gospel according to John. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we ask that on this second Sunday of the season of Easter, that uh, you would come to us and that you would teach us and empower us to serve you without fear, to serve you in holiness and righteousness. And we ask that uh, you would shine on all of us living in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet in the path of peace, the peace that your Son, the risen Jesus the Messiah, gives to each who call upon his name. We ask this, Lord, not only for our sake, but we ask this for the sake of Jesus and in the glory of his kingdom. Amen. This morning we're going to um, look at the passage uh, in John's Gospel, taken together with the passage from Acts chapter 2, and throughout the Easter season we will be spending most of our time in the book of Acts. I'd like to see if we can put, uh, connect in a way what happens in uh, John chapter 20 with the uh, events that are recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. Three of the four Gospels, with Mark being something uh, of an exception, really have a, a common theme when it comes to the stories after the, that are recorded for us after the resurrection. And those uh, stories have uh, there's a certain line that uh, we can follow, even though some of the details uh, may be different. There's, of course, the act of betrayal uh, by the disciples, by the followers of Jesus, and the only faithful ones in the story are uh, the women. Uh, and of course, we have a, a different uh, list in each gospel, but still, the women remain uh, faithful to Jesus while the disciples have uh, fled. The disciples are now undoubtedly full of guilt, they're full of shame, they've locked themselves. Uh, into a room because they're fearful. And uh, it's probably no doubt that they are going to kind of slip away after things die down and uh, go back to their old profession. Uh, surely they would have been uh, disappointed. But these cowards that we read about in uh, the gospel accounts, these uh, fearful disciples of Jesus, these ones that don't believe, uh, within 50 days, they're transformed. And they're transformed into some very courageous men and women. And uh, instead of being confused and being in a panic and being uncertain, we read Acts chapter 2, and uh, they're preaching with great authority and great confidence, even to the point that uh, soon they will be arrested and uh, they are willing to give their lives. Yes, they're willing to, to give their lives uh, for, the, for Jesus himself. 
Now, what happens to these men? What happens to these women? Yes, and the story of the disciples in Acts chapter 2 really isn't much different than what happens to, uh, what happens to Thomas uh, himself. They all encounter the resurrection. Now here the resurrection is not only a doctrine, but the resurrection is a person. Yes, it's more than a doctrine. It's an important doctrine. It's an important teaching. I don't want to minimize uh, sound doctrine, and we shouldn't ever minimize uh, sound teaching. But the preaching that we find uh, in the book of Acts and in Acts chapter 2, we hear that uh, death could not keep Jesus down. Yes, that death could not, he could not be held in the grave. And that God is uh, through the, not only the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God was keeping his promises to Israel and to all the human family. And it's interesting to me, yes, that, uh, not only interesting, I guess to be truthful to you, it's sad because you hear this refrain over and over and over again. And uh, we've heard it all through Christian history. And uh, the refrain has been uh, an anti-Semitic uh, statement that has been used to um, harm the Jewish people for the last 2,000 years. And that refrain is, you Jews killed Jesus. You Jews killed Jesus. Now, I've, whenever I hear that statement, I think there is nothing more idiotic Yes, and there's nothing uh, more mindless than such a statement because according to the, the preaching of Peter in Acts chapter 2, this was God's doing. It happened with God's foreknowledge. We also know from the Gospels themselves, Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. I will lay it down willingly. And so it wasn't the, the Jewish people. In fact, if you read the accounts very carefully, it was the religious leadership, a small group of leaders who, who ran the temple, who together with uh, some Gentiles, and isn't that interesting? Because the Bible understands a human family to be made up of Jews and Gentiles. So some Jews and some Gentiles, yes, decided that Jesus must die. And those Jews and those Gentiles really represent all of us. And in the end, yes, in the end, we were the ones who killed Jesus. We were the ones who put him on the cross. Yes, because of our sin, because of our disobedience, especially because of the sin, yes, that we were unable to trust God. We're unable to put our confidence in him and to believe to believe in him. And what may seem like a failure or God's plan B, the resurrection itself was something that God had in mind uh, all along. And so in three out of the four Gospels, as I said, there is this great fear, there is this great panic, and yet when Jesus appears, yes, when uh, Jesus appears, these cowards who are confused begin a process of transformation. 
And that transformation starts, yes, with, uh, with their fear and being uh, thrown away, or you might say that fear uh, subsiding. It then turns to joy. Yeah. Matthew, uh, Luke, John all record the joy of the disciples upon uh, seeing Jesus. And in those three Gospels, that uh, you might say the regaining of the courage, you might say that uh, the joy that comes upon them, that overwhelms them, leads to worship, to the worship of Jesus. And uh, it's often been said, mistakenly, uh, that uh, somehow in the second or third century, Jesus, who was a good uh, Jewish rabbi or teacher of the first century, was turned into a god. Yes, Jesus became uh, a divine figure as the church left its Jewish roots. But uh, we can see in three of the four gospel accounts, and certainly in the book of Acts, that uh, the followers of Jesus understood yes, Jesus to have uh, some kind of divinity, and they worshipped him. Uh, they worshipped him as such. And how does that, um, again, how does that, uh, as I said, how does that transformation, uh, not only how does that transformation happen, but really what does it, um, uh, what does it mean, uh, what does it mean for us? I think the thing I'd like to address, uh, especially uh, because of the situation in which we live, and because of uh, human nature uh, in and of itself, is the fear that these disciples exhibited. Now, in some ways, that fear uh, was more than natural. But we always, we should ask ourselves the question, what is the source of fear? Why are we fearful? Why are we afraid? Why are we anxious? What, uh, what is behind all this? And I think it can be answered largely uh, with the understanding that we are fearful because we are not in control of, uh, of any given situation. We're fearful because we don't know what's going to happen to us. We're fearful because we don't have an assurance of uh, things in, in the future. And because we, because we can't control, yes, because we can't control things, then we begin we to fear, we begin to become anxious, we then begin to uh, use force, or we deceive, we cut corners, we abuse people, we step on people, because you know, we are afraid. Yes, we can't trust. We, we, we cannot believe, as we said last week, that actually the last will be first. We really don't believe that uh, if you serve, you will end up being the greatest. We don't believe that if we give our life away, we'll actually save it. And so we, as, a hum as human beings in the human family, do all that we can to preserve life. We do all that we can, whether especially uh, our life, and we will do virtually anything, yes, to, um, to preserve that life. And all of this comes, 
Yes, because we don't believe. It all comes because we don't trust. It all comes because we don't cling to Jesus and actually uh, take our life uh, from his life. And that's the purpose of John's gospel. It's not just the story of doubting Thomas. The story of doubting Thomas, or believing, ultimately he became believing Thomas, that is, that is actually our story. And in some ways, we're no different than Thomas is. In fact, we're, we're, quite, we're, very, similar to, we're very similar to Thomas. And as Jesus comes in, went into that room, uh, the first thing, he, of course, he says to his disciples is, peace be with you. And he gives them his peace, and that peace comes to them through the Holy Spirit. So the risen Jesus brings peace, which again is part of the process of changing them from uh, cowards into courageous men and women. And secondly, secondly, the gospel ends by saying all these things were written. All these things were written so that we may believe. Now what is the enemy of belief? especially if we look at it in the context of John's gospel. The enemy of belief is not doubt. Have you ever noticed that Jesus doesn't condemn Thomas for doubting? Jesus doesn't beat up on the disciples in John's gospel. He doesn't say you're failures. He doesn't say, I told you so. He doesn't say, I knew you were gonna do this to me. You owe me an apology. And what does he do with, what does he do to Thomas? He, he invites Thomas, of course, to put his hands uh, into his wounds. And for John, John's gospel, and when Jesus talks about belief, it is more than just some intellectual uh, concept. Instead, it is tr- belief is trusting. Belief is relying upon. Belief is uh, connecting to or abiding, abiding with Jesus. And this is what it means to believe. And ultimately, the enemy of belief, again, is not doubt. All of us have our doubts. And when we have doubts in our community, we should be compassionate and merciful to each other and understanding. And we should not uh, beat each other over the head with the Bible. But the enemy of, the enemy of belief is actually anxiety, and it's actually fear. Yes, if we fear, if we're anxious, yes, we will not know the resurrected life. We will not know that peace. And so, believing, trusting, yes, relying upon, clinging to, connecting with, staying with Jesus. These are all ways of defining uh, John's understanding of John's gospel, the use of the word belief. All of this should lead to joy. It should lead to joy and enable us to worship. And as we read, uh, or we, as we prayed in the beginning, it should enable us to worship him or to serve him w- without fear. This is... Um, important, a, uh, an important concept, or what happens when we encounter the resurrection, and it happens when we encounter the life of uh, the divine life that, uh, that Jesus gives us. Now, in, um, 
Acts chapter 2, in fact, all through the book of Acts, numerous times Peter says, we are witnesses. Uh, we are witnesses of these things. And not only has, uh, not only would Peter be talking about the 12 disciples, uh, there are 12 apostles at that point, but he also mentions that the promise or the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and for all of those who are far off. So God has given us, yes, the Holy Spirit. Yes, and why is the Holy Spirit given to us? Holy Spirit is given not because we're in a, uh, we're in a bless me club. The Holy Spirit isn't given only for our edification. Holy Spirit isn't given only for our spiritual growth, but the Holy Spirit is given largely, yes, so that we can accomplish the work of God. It's given for the word that's not very popular around here or popular in Israel. It's given for the purpose of mission. Yes, we are empowered. Yes, we are um, uh, overwhelmed with uh, this presence uh, uh, in order to do what God has called us to do. Yes, in order to speak prophetically, uh, in order to uh, live lives, yes, that uh, are not fearful and yet are full of peace and full of joy. Again, not only for ourselves, but for the world. That's why Jesus, when he gives the Spirit, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Yes, so I send you. So we um, are witnesses. We are witnesses. And what are we witnesses of? We're witnesses of the resurrection. And we're witnesses of life. That's why in the end of the gospel, it says these things are written so that we, yes, so that we can believe, so that we can trust, so that we can um, rely upon, so that we can come into an intimate relationship with the Son of God, and in the process, yes, share that divine life. And if, brothers and sisters, we are indeed witnesses of the resurrection, look, we must ask ourselves a question, each one of us, you know, what kind of witnesses are we of the resurrected life? Are we fearful? Are, have we locked ourselves, you know, into a closed room because of one fear or another? Yes, is our uh, anxiety or the fear for our future, it's, is it uh, in some way stopping the work that God wants to do in our life? Yes, what about joy? Are we able to serve the Lord joyfully? One thing that uh, Deuteronomy 29 tells us is that uh, a curse came upon Israel because Israel, ancient Israel, did not serve the Lord with joy. And so if we're going to be witnesses of that resurrection, we not only have to exhibit God's peace, but we also have to exhibit God's joy. And again, we need to remind ourselves of the danger of becoming obsessed with ourselves and obsessed with our problems and obsessed with our issues. If we do, we will miss the intention, yes, of uh, giving that resurrected, of living that resurrected life. That life is for us, 
but it's also for us to share and to give away, to give away with others, to others. You know, Jesus, he invites Thomas to put his hands into his wounds. Paul, as we read last week, invites us, or he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. So when we talk about this resurrected life, when we talk about being filled with joy and filled with peace so that we don't have to be anxious about our future or we don't have to uh, uh, have doubts about who God is, especially that he's exhibited his faithfulness to us in the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus of Nazareth. We also have to admit that this life sometimes isn't very easy and that there is suffering involved and that there's difficulty involved and that in living this resurrected life or being witnesses of the resurrection, we have to exhibit uh, self-control or we may have to exhibit self-sacrifice or we may go through suffering. Not everybody suffers equally for some unknown reason. I can't tell you. I certainly don't know why that is. But we can do all these things. We can do all these things with confidence and a certain assurance. Yes, if we have tasted life before death. And life before death means that we share in the life that Jesus gives us, that divine life that he has with the Father. The relationship that Jesus has with the Father and that the Father has with the Son is that relationship that he wants to share with us and that we share with each other. If we taste life, real life, resurrection life before we die, that we have no need to fear death We have no need to fear that suffering or sacrifice, yes, is in any way wasted. We're not being foolish. We're not being stupid. We're not being what in Hebrew one would uh, call being a sucker. Because we've tasted, yes, We've tasted that divine life. And we are witnesses of the resurrection. But you may say, but I really, I wasn't there like Thomas. And it's true in some ways, we indeed, yes, rely on the the witnesses of those uh, early apostles. The 12, the 500, as Paul tells us later, and more. Our faith is built, yes, on their testimony. And it's built on that transforming, uh, transformation that happened to them. Yet at the same time, at the same time, we witness the resurrection because we too are in the process of being transformed. We're in the process of being changed. Millions of people, as we said last week, all throughout the ages have encountered the risen Jesus their lives have been radically changed. The direction in which they were going, yes, 
uh, has been radically altered. I was talking um, with uh, a man at the, the gate uh, <clears throat> a few months ago, and uh, he was uh, very critical of uh, the Gospels and of uh, Christianity, and of course, you know, said it was irrational and it wasn't true, uh, so on and so forth. And uh, I mentioned to him that there is a living Jesus and that this living Jesus appears to people or calls people to come and follow him. And the man scoffed, you know, he scoffed, you know, as if saying, well, there are lots of people who have religious experiences and uh, this is nonsense. But our faith isn't nonsense. It is based on something that's rational. It's based on something uh, that's reasonable, the resurrection and the way that these disciples change. But it's also based on the experiences of millions and millions of Christians, of Jesus appearing to people in Mecca, or Jesus appearing to people in Southeast Asia who have no knowledge of him, who have no Christian background, who have never been to church and revealing himself to millions of Muslims, well, I don't know about millions, but to thousands of Muslims all over the world today who are seeing Jesus in their dreams. Now, thousands of people are not hallucinating. Yes, uh, thousands of people uh, don't uh, hallucinate and see a dead man coming back, coming back to life. We are witnesses of the resurrection. We're witnesses of that transformation. But I have to warn us, not only will we encounter difficulty, yes, not only will there be bumps along the way, we will be tested. Our joy will be tested. Our peace will be tested. It will be very easy to start uh, picking up our fears again, yes, and to uh, doubt God's character or to doubt God's word. And so, we, again, we need to rely uh, on the power of the Holy Spirit and to refuse to fear. We need to refuse to lose our joy. We need to refuse to lose our peace. Yes, and our response, again, should be one of worship and one of service. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we indeed thank you for the resurrection of your son, for the new life that he gives us, for making us new creatures, for giving us a new beginning, for conquering fear and conquering death, and enabling us to serve you in holiness and with joy and righteousness all our days. We pray that you will uh, strengthen your family, especially during these days. We pray that uh, we will not fear, that we will not lose heart, that we will not become cowardly. Instead, we ask that you will enable us to be faithful, faithful witnesses of the resurrection, not only as a doctrine and an idea, but your Son, Jesus, the Messiah. We ask that that Spirit will strengthen us for your service. 
and that uh, you will indeed allow us to be your witnesses in difficult places and at difficult times. And again, we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Our sermons are on all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. An audio-video version will also be on YouTube. If you would like to hear and receive more of our teachings, follow us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube and on SoundCloud. And if you are blessed by these teachings, please consider donating to our work here at Christchurch so that we may continue in this ministry.